So we had our Disciple Now weekend, and the theme verses are Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, and so it would be fitting for me to preach from Romans 12, 1 and 2 this morning. So if you have your scriptures, open up to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Uh, Brother Fred spoke on Romans 12, 1 and 2 last week, and I was sitting there thinking in my seat, he has no clue I'm going to be there next week. Obviously, God wants you to hear it again, and so we're going to walk through it. You may say, David, you know, in that last song that we sang, it said, uh, he's never going to let me down. And we sang it quite a few times. And, you know, maybe the Lord is telling you how often do we forget that God is with us. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But how often in our situations and struggles do we forget that? And so I pray this morning that 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 verse of that song would be just driven in your head so that we can remember over and over that He's never going to let us down. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He is with us through it all. As Brother Fred preached last week, He walks with us through the fire. He takes us through the fire. And He's with us at all times. And so we need to live in that victory. That's some power. To know that the living God, the one that we're going to celebrate, well, we celebrate every week, but we're going to celebrate in two weeks the fact that our God raised from the dead, that he came forth victorious out of the tomb. And can I just say, I know I'm, I'm, I just got to tell you this. I've heard this said, and, I, and I, I think it's true, that I know it's true. There is no stone big enough to hold Jesus in the grave or in the tomb. That stone was not rolled away so that Jesus could come out as if he was trapped. That stone was rolled away so that you and I could see that the tomb was empty. And so this morning as we open up the Word of God, the bread of life, the breath of the living God. May we do this knowing the authority which is in Christ Jesus and Jesus alone. It says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your body a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual Service of worship. Now I know that in the King James or the New King James it says this is your uh, reasonable service. I just want you to know that when you look at the word service, which is also in this translation as well, that word service looked up in the Greek means worship. It means reasonable service or worship, which is probably why it states it like that in this, in this text. But I want to kind of just break this down for a second and I want to start with the very beginning Just word by word here. And the first word we see is therefore. Now, if you've been around me for the past nine years, when I hear the word therefore, what do we say? What's the therefore, therefore? Right? So we have to realize that that Paul is making a break here in Scripture. It's like a bridge. This bridge of the word therefore is saying that everything from Romans 1 through Romans 11 is all about statements of belief and salvation. So here he makes this break, and we begin to to see this where now he's moving into more of a practical or commands based on what we see in Romans 1 through 11. Okay, So we see in Romans 1 through 11 that we see the salvation, the statement of belief. So let's just kind of look at that. What's the therefore, therefore, We've got to go back and realize, first and foremost, that this 
verse in chapter 12, verse 1, is based on the understanding of salvation. Therefore, because of salvation, therefore, because you believe in Christ, therefore, because you've accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, therefore, I urge you, brethren. So let's just go back and look at that in salvation. And I'm only going to use scriptures out of the book of Romans, verses 1 through 11, or chapters 1 through 11, which is where we get what we call the Romans road. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, many of y'all have these memorized, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I shared this with the students last night, but we have a sin problem. We have a sin problem. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. I got to just tell you, I, I, love, I love having a five-year-old and a three-year-old at home. You never know what's going to come out of their mouth. And let me just tell you, you better be careful what you say to my kids, because they'll remember your name too and let me know who told you. <laughs> my son told me one time something funny. I won't mention what it was. He just he said something real funny about a sports team. And I said, where'd you hear that from? And he just named a name. So I went and asked the person. He's like, no, he didn't. So my son just started making stuff up. But my daughter, this is so funny. This is, this is so cute, I guess. The other day, she gets in the car, and I had promised her that I would take her to the store to buy to buy her a gift, just because I love her. No reasons, no strings attached. She gets in the car, she's five years old, and she was like looking around thinking I'd already purchased something. She knew all day, she was thinking about waiting for it all day. She gets in the car, and I hadn't gotten it yet. I was like, you know, as a dad, now granted, this is also me being lazy, but as a dad, I was like, you know, I'll just take Emmy with me and let her pick something out. So she's looking, and finally I tell her, I was like, listen, we're going to go to the store, and we're going to pick something out. And my daughter says, okay, I could kind of see she was a little sad, but then a little excited because now we're headed to the store. She wanted it like right then. It was like instant gratification, not that any person uh, in this generation would want that. But so here's, here's the deal. My daughter gets in the car and she's like looking for it. And so I, I take her, we start heading to um, some store where they have cheap toys. I don't know which one it was because I'm very frugal. And as we're on our way, my daughter informs me, she goes, daddy, and when she says daddy in that voice, I know we got, we got something going on. She goes, dad, I got a worm in my apple today. Now, for those who are school teachers, you understand that the word for them to have a word in their apple, a worm in their apple means that's their discipline chart. And if you get a worm in your apple, you have to go and go get the worm and go put it on your apple. And that's basically that you did something wrong. Well, ultimately what my daughter did wrong is the same thing that I do wrong, which is sometimes I'm a little ADD and I'm focused on the other thing and I need to be focused on the thing that's in front of us. And so she looks at me and she goes, Dad, if it just wasn't for Adam and Eve, I wouldn't have gotten a worm in my apple. My five-year-old just gave us some theology. We have a sin problem. It goes back to Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve was told not to partake. But yet they went and they partook. And so sin entered the world. It says in the scripture that by one man sin entered to all. We were born into sin. That's the reason why we celebrate at Christmas. We don't celebrate uh, somebody who, who brings toys from all over the world. No, we celebrate the fact that Jesus came through a virgin birth. Why? Because that means that he was not conceived between two sinful people. Listen. 
If somebody tries to take away and tell you that the virgin birth is not real, they have just said that the whole gospel is not true. We have a sin problem. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Let me tell you something. All of us have done something in our life to realize that we have a sin problem. And let's just be real. If you have a two or three year old at home, you know that we're born into sin. I never taught my son to go and hit his sister. I never said, okay, now this is how you hit your sister. No. He naturally just like just knew how to do all this. The easiest way to show somebody that we have a sin problem is give them a two-year-old and let them see that nobody taught them this. It's natural to them. It's called the flesh. In Romans 6, verse 23, it says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. We see here that because we have a sin problem, we see that the wages of that, and as many people share in the Romans road, wages mean something that you earn. What we earn because of our sin problem is death. I tell people all the time, don't tell me you deserve anything. What we deserve is death. That's what the scripture tells us. Listen, that should get you so excited about Jesus because the next part of that line is is that but the free gift or the gift of God, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Listen, all we deserve in life is death. Maybe we'll rethink in this younger generation the word what I deserve. College students, maybe we'll rethink, well, I didn't deserve that. No, you deserve death. It says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, But God demonstrates His own love towards us, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. One of my favorite verses throughout the whole Scripture. Why? Because it shows who we are. Sinners. It shows that while we could do nothing, that He demonstrated His love towards us, that while we were sinners, we could do nothing. We deserve death, but yet He loved us enough. Listen, I don't know about you, church, but that is enough to get me so excited that I could just walk on the stage and go home. Like, God loved me enough that though I was a harlot, though I was a sinner, though I was running from the king, though I didn't want nothing to do with Him, He said, hey, I love you enough. You don't deserve it, but I love you that much. Romans 10, I love this, 9 and 10, it says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, then you will be saved. Verse 10, for with your heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. You say, David, why are you walking through the Romans road? Because the word therefore in Romans 12 hinges off of the understanding of salvation. Therefore, because you have a sin problem, because God sent His Son, Philippians chapter 2, and because He died for you, and because you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord with your mouth, and because you believed in your heart, you shall be saved. Therefore, I urge you, brethren. So we must understand that when we look at Romans chapter 12, verses, or 12 verse 1, therefore, is really stating everything from chapter 1 through 11, which is all about salvation. And then it says on Romans 10 verse 13, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a promise today, y'all. That's a promise. 
Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, I just got to be real with you all for a second. I shared with the students last night. Calling on the name of the Lord is not just saying, hey, you know, uh, I'm a Christian. No. And I know that this may, for some in this room, you may say, David, this is pretty elementary. Well, let's just get real for a second. People call themselves Christians all the time, but yet have not called him Lord of their life. People call themselves Christians because they want to gain something from it, especially down here in the South. I call it the belt buckle of the Bible belt. This ain't just the belt, it's the belt buckle of the Bible belt. People want to gain something from it, so they'll call themselves a Christian, but yet they've never truly confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life. We played a game with the students the other night, and can I just tell you, I love student ministry. Just to get away at a D now and realize that, that... that you can get away from the world and you can still have a lot of fun. So there's this game out that has different jelly beans. Have y'all ever seen that? And some of them are good and some of them are bad. But they all look the same. And so what they do is, is you pick up one and you either get you, when you go to eat it, you're either eating a good jelly bean or a bad jelly bean. One tastes great and one tastes awful. Your, your kids have probably played it, trust me. But here's the interesting thing. On the outward coating of that jelly bean, they all look the same. But on the inside of it, they're different. You can call yourself a Christian all day long. You can call yourself a good jelly bean all day long. But what's on the inside? What's truly on the inside? Have you truly professed Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Listen, this morning, starting right here, we start with the understanding of salvation. Do you know Him? One of the hardest things that we preach about, I, 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 just, I don't enjoy preaching on hell because of the understanding of what it is, but I have to preach on hell or else I'm not preaching the full authority of the Word of God. And the Scripture says that those who do not believe in Christ, it says that there is a place called hell that we'll go forever and ever. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. I have to share that with you. I don't want somebody to, to accept Christ simply because they don't want to go to hell. I want you to accept Christ because you realize that He is our Lord and our Savior. He gave His life for you and that you may have life. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. We see here salvation in the word therefore. He's speaking to the brethren, the believers Obviously in Rome, but he's also speaking to all believers by the mercies of God. So all of the next part hinges off of the fact of salvation by the mercy of God. Well, what is mercy? Brother Fred has shared this many times. Mercy is not receiving what you deserve. I just told you, what do we deserve? Death. So as a believer in Christ, when we accept Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior... What we deserve is death. And so anything that's not death is the mercy of God towards us. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, it says this, But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive, which is grace, together with Christ. His mercy is not giving us what we deserve, which is death. That's what we just saw in the book of Romans, verses chapter 1 through 11. Him giving us eternal life is the grace of God when He gives us something that we don't deserve. Mercy. 
we don't get something that we deserve. Grace is when God gives us something that we don't deserve. So, the first point I want you to understand is that you have... Romans 12 hinges off the fact that you are a believer in Christ. Therefore, salvation, number one, salvation. The second thing I want you to see is where it says, it says, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Now, why do we present our bodies as a living sacrifice? Because of what was just stated. Because of salvation. Because of the mercy of God. He's saying, because of... Therefore, the salvation, the, the, the belief statements in Romans 1 through 11, therefore, because of that, you present your body a living sacrifice. Here's, this was like profound. I heard a pastor say this like literally yesterday. I was listening to a podcast and I just blew my mind. He said, previous to the cross, so Old Testament, he said that sacrifice was to gain atonement. Think about this for a second. They would have a sacrifice, and what was the sacrifice? To cover the sins, right? After the cross, sacrifice is because of atonement. Think about this for a second. Old Testament, sacrifice was to, to, to gain or to, to have the, the way of atonement. But New Testament, we sacrifice our lives to God because of the atonement which has already been made. That's what we see in the very first part when I talk about salvation. Salvation is the fact that God sent Jesus, Jesus shed his blood on the cross, and then therefore the atonement was paid. We deserve death. We deserve death, but Jesus took that on the cross and paid what we deserved, the atonement of Jesus Christ. So we sacrifice our lives to God because of the atonement that has been paid through the blood of Jesus Christ. So the second point is, is that we are a living sacrifice. So we must give our lives to Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it's no longer your life, but it's God's. You've given your life to Christ. Salvation is, is that we are emptying ourselves, that we fall on our face before God and we accept Him as our Lord and Savior. It doesn't say that you accept Him just simply as Savior. It's Lord as well. Lord of your life. We are letting Him take control of our life. The beautiful thing is, is that nobody can take our life at this point because we've already given it to Jesus Christ. Somebody can, as Paul said, for, uh, for me to live as Christ, for me to die as gain, he understood that if somebody took his life, listen, that his life was already secure in the hope of eternal life, which was Jesus Christ. And so we don't need to fear death. We don't need to fear the persecution and the pain and the hurt and the suffering and all these things. Listen, we know, we know that our life is wrapped up in Christ and Christ alone. So we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. It says this. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, the atonement. Therefore glorify God in your body. Listen, we are a living sacrifice. We give our life to God. The beautiful thing is, is that we are living. Like we get to live out this sacrifice to God. Every day we are a living sacrifice. It is daily. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, it says this. 
It says, and he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must what? Deny himself and take up his cross. How often? Daily and follow me. Listen, us as a living sacrifice, it's a daily thing to follow Christ. I'm not saying that salvation is daily. I believe that salvation is once and for all. When you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, he comes into your life Fully with the Holy Spirit. Can you quench the Spirit? Absolutely. But I believe the Holy Spirit fully comes into our life. And listen, as we just sang, He'll never let us go. He'll never let us down. He'll never let us down. He'll never let us go. We need to remember that over and over. Why? Because He'll never leave us nor forsake us. But He says, pick up your cross daily and follow after me. Verse 24, I love what it says in 24 and 25. It says, for whoever wishes to save his life, will lose it. But whoever loses his life, living sacrifice, whoever sacrifices his life for the kingdom of God, he is the one who will save it. Man, now I understand why in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, what am I? I can't say it. 1 Corinthians. Wow. Now I understand why in 1 Corinthians, it says, it says, those big words, I tell you. So I now understand why it says that God's wisdom is greater than man's wisdom, and yet it also is a, it's a stum- the cross is a stumbling block, and all these things. It just says that like it just he uses the, the 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 lower things of the world in order to shame the wise. Listen, here he's saying, you lose your life, you'll save it. Whoa, what? He's saying, hey, you sacrifice your life for the kingdom of God. You give your life to Christ. And you live your life for the kingdom of God. It says right there. It says you will save it. Verse 25. It says, For what is a man profit if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Hey, let's just be real right here. This is a profound, profound statement. This is huge. Because the world is trying every way they can to change that scripture. They're doing everything they can to twist it and say, if I can just do this, I will gain my life. Or if I walk down this religion, I'll gain my life. Or if I just can do these things, I'll gain my life. And here's the thing. The Word of God will never change. And the Word of God tells us that if you try to gain the whole world, you'll lose it all. You'll lose it all. The second point is is that we're a living sacrifice. We must lay our life down daily we must pick up our cross daily and follow after him can i just be honest we i shared this with the students the other day or last night i said you know picking up our cross that's a painful thing the reason it's painful is because it's so contrary to where the world is you want to stick out like a sore thumb be a christian the reason that it's painful is because the scripture says that they are going to hate you because they hate it Christ first. So let's just be real. I'm not trying to sugarcoat it for anybody. It is painful in a lot of ways within this world. But I'll tell you this, you'll never find peace that surpasses all understanding except for through Jesus Christ. Only through Jesus Christ is true joy and peace come from. Now, First, we must lay down our life. We have to give our lives as a sacrifice. But then, let's just be real. It's a living sacrifice. You know what that means? You can get off the altar. Hey, 
You may say, David, I, I gave my life to Jesus, but man, I have not been walking and living for the King. I don't, I don't like, um, I'm going to uh, rededicate my life. I like to say that we're going to reaffirm Christ's lordship in our life. You can't rededicate something that's already been dedicated. But what I think needs to take place is, is that people who have gotten off the altar and who have taken their life back and said, hey, no, I'm going to go do this, and I'm going to go do that, and I'm going to do that. What we need to do today is simply go back and reaffirm Christ as my Lord, which means we get back up on the altar. We're a living sacrifice. The flesh and the spirit wages war against each other. If you don't believe me, students, ask any person in here who's been a Christian longer than a day. The flesh inside of us rises up and wants us to get off the altar. And because we are living, we can. We can. It says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, For the flesh sets its desires against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Listen, it's saying right here, there's a battle between the flesh and the spirit. Every day you have that battle. Every day. Can I just tell you all something though? In James chapter 1, and I didn't give them these scriptures in the back, but in James chapter 1 it tells us that temptation is not a sin until it's conceived. And it really, it says this, oh they pulled it up real quick. Let no one say to you, verse 13 of James, it says, Let no one say to you, say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be, be tempted by evil. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then the lust has conceived and it gives birth to sin. Hey, if you'll go back to verse 12 on that, I want you all to see verse 12. This is a power, oh, this, is, this is strong. Look at this. Blessed is the man... Who preserves under trials. This was not. I, I do not have this in my notes. So this is right now. Like I just know the spirit of the Lord is telling me to speak this to you. Blessed is the man. Who preserves under trials. For once he has been approved. He will receive what? The crown of life. Which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Then we go straight into verse 13. It talks about. That God doesn't tempt us. And temptation is not sin until it's conceived. Some of us, the evil one, will throw things at us, temptations, throw things at us. Whether it's in our mind, whether it's something we see, whether it's something we feel, all of a sudden, like, like this temptation will be thrown at us, and we'll stand firm, we'll, we'll, we'll run to the Scripture, we'll hold on to the Word of God, and that temptation moves away, and we never conceive sin in it. The Scripture says in verse 12, Blessed is the man. There's a blessing for standing firm when the temptation comes and you don't conceive the sin. But you know what Satan does? Let's just get real. And I think some of y'all are probably here, including myself sometimes. Satan goes, oh, I can't believe you even had that, that thought come through your mind. You must, there must be. And he begins a whole other temptation. And we believe it. And guess what happens? Is he steals our blessing that we should have just received because we stood firm amidst the temptation. I don't know who that was for, but please go back and dwell on that. Because so often we'll sit there and say, oh, I can't believe I even had a temptation. What's wrong with me? Let me tell you what's wrong with you. You're a born again believer and the flesh lives in you. 
And the flesh is going to rage war with the spirit inside of you. That's what's happening every day. So instead of just saying, oh, I can't deal with it. No, let's face it according to the scripture of God. What does Galatians 5 tell us to do? It says walk in the spirit. That's what it tells us to do. How do we fight the the war that's raging where we want to get off the altar? How do we fight that? We walk in the Spirit. We get in the Word of God and we know Him deeply. Psalms 119 says that the Word is like honey to my lips. I was telling the students that last night and I was like, man, when you get like real honey, oh my goodness, it's amazing. And the word of God is like honey to my lips that I meditate on it day and night. And in Jeremiah it says that the word of God I found it and I ate it. That's how powerful this is. You want to know how to fight the flesh that's rising up in you every day? You know the word of God. You meet with the one who's there with us. In the book of Hebrews it says that Jesus is there with us through those temptations because he also went through the same thing. And so we hold on to that. In Romans 7, and I'm not going to read the whole thing due to time, but in Romans 7, 14 through 25, you can write that down. But this scripture is all about Paul talking about the waging of war between the flesh and the spirit. But I want to just go straight to verse 18. It says this, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, and that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. Verse 19, for the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want to do, or that I do not want. He's saying, hey, the flesh and the spirit is rising up against, and if we're not careful, what do we do? We get off the altar, why? Because we're a living sacrifice. So the first thing we have to see is that it's all about salvation. Therefore, salvation and the mercy of God. The second thing that we have to see is that we are offering our life as a living sacrifice. You must offer your life, give your life, daily pick up your cross. Even in Philippians 3, it says that we can, he counts all things as loss. All the things that he had, he counts as loss. Why? Because he's offering his life for the kingdom of God. And the living sacrifice, so so one is salvation, two is that we are a living sacrifice. But let me just also say one other thing about being a living sacrifice and the fact that we can get off the altar, we have to discipline our lives. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 26, it says, Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim, and I box in such a way as not beating the air. And then he says this, I love this, But I discipline my body and make it my slave. Make it my slave. Why? So that, always when you see so that, it's telling us now the cause and effect. Why? He disciplines his body, makes it a slave. Cause, effect is this. After I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Do you discipline your life so that the things that are so easily taking us off or off the altar doesn't creep back in on you? I remember a message that that, that Brother Fred preached at one time about damming up the waters. Have you dammed up the water in your life? Some of the things that I tell students is, is that, you know, maybe you're struggling with looking at things you shouldn't be looking at. Have you gotten rid of the phone that, that allows you to do it? Have you gotten rid of the computer that allows you to do it? 
You say, David, that's just too much in this world. I need all these things. Well, let me just tell you, if you do not dam up the water, or if you do not discipline yourself in those areas, this is what will happen. The flesh will win out. Because your flesh is weak. Your flesh is weak. Do you make provisions in those areas of your life? Do you have accountability? People that will come and and, and ask and see how, how you're doing. Let me tell you about somebody. There was a pastor I heard one time who traveled all the time. And he had accountability partners that he gave his schedule to them. And at random times, he knew that they could come knocking on a hotel door. One time he was at a hotel and he was studying the Word of God, preparing for a message, and he gets a knock on a door in another city. I told, like, like many, many, many miles away, like had to fly there. And it was an accountability partner who didn't tell him he was going to show up. Why? Because he loved him enough to do that. So that he would always know, hey, at any time my accountability partner could knock on the door and say, what are you doing right now? That's pretty strong. That's pretty powerful. I don't know if this is true, but I even heard that that Billy Graham would send people up to his rooms to check the rooms before he would go up himself. Why? Because he knows what the scripture says about the flesh. Can I just be real? I think that Satan also lies to us and says, man, your flesh is weak. That's, that's, that's something in your life that you need to grow in. Like, your flesh is weak, and so you've you got to have a stronger flesh so you can do it on your own. You've got to be stronger so you can do it on your own. I can't believe your flesh is so weak. Let me just tell you, my flesh is just as weak as your flesh. Our flesh is weak. The only thing that lets us stay on the altar is yielded to the one Jesus Christ and Christ alone. The only way that I can defeat the flesh in my life every day is by being yielded to the power of the Holy Spirit. Students, in just a few hours, just a few minutes, you might say, David, don't preach for a few more hours, but just in a few minutes, the service will be over. You'll be going home. And all this time that you had where people were pouring into you and reading Scripture and all these different things, let me just tell you, Satan is waiting for you. He's waiting, knowing that your flesh is weak. And knowing that if you're not yielded to the Holy Spirit, you're going to find yourself saying, why do I always have these roller coaster experiences? I'm up on this high, and now I'm down on this low. I'm up on this high, and now I'm down on this low. Hey, let's just be real uh, to all the adults out here. That happens to us on Sunday mornings. It's real easy in here. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Praise His name forever. And we're like, just like, man, we're, we're pumped. But as soon as you walk out of that door, you know who's waiting for you? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Waiting for you. And so we have to understand that our flesh is weak and that we're a living sacrifice. Are you on the altar today? Have you laid your life on the altar, first and foremost, salvation? But second off, have you gotten off the altar and ran for the things of this world? So then it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy, set-apart sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Worship. This is what's so beautiful. The last part, the third point I want you to see. Number one is salvation. Number two is that you're a living sacrifice. And number three is is that your sacrifice, your surrender 
is worship. This morning, we're going to literally have three different age groups sing songs. We had the adult choir, which also has youth in it sometimes. I mean, it's not just adult. I'm just saying we had the adult choir. We had the youth worship team. And at the offertory, we, ha- offertory, we have the, the young ones and the really young ones that are going to sing. Worship is not singing. Singing can be worship, but worship is not singing. It's kind of like this. Is a square a rectangle? Yeah. Square is a rectangle, right? Wouldn't you say that? But is a rectangle a square? No. So here's how, here's how it is. What I want you to understand is, is that singing is not worship. But singing can be worship. What I want you to understand is, is that worship is, as we see in Romans 12, 1 and 2, worship is the sacrifice, the surrender of your life. You know what happens when I surrender my life to the Lord? And when I'm on the altar, I sing. You know why I sing? Because it just comes out of me. Most of you don't want to hear it. But I do, I sing. Why? Because my life has been surrendered to the king. You say, well, David, you know, I, I don't know if I, if I follow completely. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 22, verses 5 through 8. The very first reference to worship in the Bible, it says this. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. And I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and knife. So the two of them walked on together. Go back to verse 5. Abraham says to the young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there. What does it say? And we will what? We will worship. We'll worship. You know what I love about that? That next part, too. And we'll return. Woo! That's strong. Abraham's faith, man. Lord, give us a faith of Abraham. And we'll return. So here's what happens. He says, we're going to go over there and, 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 and sacrifice, or we're going to go over here. The lad and I will worship and we'll return. It doesn't say we're going to go over there and we're going to get a, a four-piece band and we're going to play and we're going to sing some songs. It doesn't say that, that the choir is going to lead... And, and, and then they're going to lay Isaac down on the altar. No, what it says is, is that Abraham by faith has surrendered every bit of who he is. And that's worship. He takes, he takes his child, which is a representation of his future. It's a representation of all of who he is. Because his seed is going through Isaac. And he says, you know what? God will provide. God will provide. Do you realize that you could stand up here and have the best of the best, which is Brother Ed singing, and you could never worship? 
You could have the best song lyrics that you could ever imagine up on the screen and you could never worship. Worship is not about a style of music. It's not even really, in some sense, about just, just the, 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 the words because the words have to be in accordance to this. It is about the words, but the problem is sometimes we get so focused on the words that we miss this. One of the most beautiful things that happens here at Luke 4.18, and he had no clue I was going to say this. One of the most beautiful things that happens here at Luke 4.18 is that Brother Ed's singing and leading us is 100% wrapped up in this. Our problem today, and I shared this with the students last night, our problem today in singing worship is that too many people don't have a foundation on this and they're building their theology based on the words of songs. If we don't have a foundation on this, then how do you even know that what you're singing is biblical? And if you go and hold on to a song and its lyrics to get you through, listen, you got to know that it is in the Word of God that will never fail you. you got to know that it's in the Word of God that will not come back void. And what I love about Sunday mornings at Luke 4.18, when we are singing, which is a part of our worship, when we are singing, what does Brother Ed do every time? Not only does he hold up his Bible... But he quotes scripture over and over and over to give you the basis of what we're about to sing, that it is biblical from the word of God. Too many of our young people today, and I shared this with our young people, so I'm not like calling them out here in front of you. But too many of our young people today don't have a foundation on this. And they run off of the emotions of music. I'll give you an example. I didn't know if I was going to go here, but I'm going to. I'll give you an example. There's a song, and I shared this with you on Wednesday night if you were here, but there's a song called God's Great Dance Floor. Some of you say, whoa, dancing and, and singing and all this, this may be a little much. First time I heard it, people were jumping up and down, and I, you know, the music was pretty, pretty live. I don't know how to say it. What's a good word? It was, uh, it was happening. I don't know how to say it. I'm trying real hard here to, to be on their generation level. I'm trying really hard. I'm getting this. No, I'm not going to say it. So I, I saw everybody jumping around, and, and they were having a great time because the guitars were playing like, like just awesome. The drums were just going to town, and, and we're, there's a big concert field, and everybody's jumping and all this stuff. And I said to myself, wait, how many of the people are only doing this and jumping up and down because the music is moving them. And at first I didn't like the song. But then I went back. And I heard the song based on the word of where it came from. And the song goes back to the prodigal son. And in the story of the prodigal son. It says that he comes back. And when he does they throw a party. They, they, they kill the fatty calf. And when they do. What does the older son say? He hears them singing and dancing or he hears that they are throwing a party for the son who's come home and they're literally dancing. Why? Because the son had been transformed from death to life. Now, I don't know about y'all, but the fact that my life once was headed to, to hell, once was dead, and now I've been transformed by the glorious power of the living God, that makes me want to dance. 
So here's the difference, and you've got to hear this with me, congregation. Like the Lord has just been speaking to, this, to me over the last few days. If you do not have a biblical foundation on the Word of God, then you'll find yourself looking at worship in a way that glorifies yourself by what you like and, 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 and what feels good. But when you have a foundation on the Word of God and you hear the lyrics that are lined up with the Scripture as we just sang, then we begin to say, okay, like this is resonating with the Spirit of God that's inside my heart and I just want to shout to the rooftops as Brother, Fred, Brother Ed just sang, shout to the north, to the east, to the west, to the south. I, I, I'm messing up the lyrics of the song. But I want to go and shout it. Why? Because He's changed my life. And so worship is about surrendered to the king. A living sacrifice. We surrender to the king. And guess what comes forth from our mouth? Songs, hymns. So many things. We speak and people hear the power of the living God. We sing and people hear the power of the living God. A choir that's not surrendered to God is not worshiping. And praise God. Here at Luke 4.18, we have a choir who is surrendered to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Praise God here at Luke 4.18, we have a music uh, worship pastor who is surrendered to the King, which means that when he brings us into a time of singing, if we are surrendered to God, we are going to continue to be completely focused on Him. And let me just be honest with you, that is emotional. Why isn't it emotional to find out that God saved my life? Like, that's emotional. But the emotions are based on what God did and not on just a musical uh, 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 guitar or drums or whatever. So let me ask you this. Are you worshiping? Oh, and I'm not talking about songs. I'm talking about have you surrendered your life? Is your life on the altar? Because if you haven't surrendered your life on the altar, you've surrendered it to yourself. And ultimately, you're worshiping yourself. Number one, we have to go. It goes back to salvation. Number two, we're a living sacrifice. And number three, we worship through surrender by surrendering our life. Abraham surrendered Isaac. He surrendered his life and he worshiped. We come into this place, and as our lives are surrendered on the altar of God, guess what? We worship. We worship. Some of my favorite songs, and all songs out there, are the hymns. I have a CD about hymns that I sing over and over and over in my car, and I can just, man, I get so. Why? Because the words are so true to the foundation of the Word of God. It's not the music. It's the words pointing to the king. It's the words pointing to the king. So, today, where are you at? Here in just a second, the youth worship team is going to come up here and we're going to sing a song called Come to the Altar. And I think it's so fitting. You may say, well, David, I, I, just, uh, I, I just don't know. I, I don't know if I'm on the altar. Well, listen, before you can truly sing the song that we're going to sing, you've got to get on the altar. 
I'm not saying run down here, which you're welcome to. This, this, is, this is an altar that, that's here. This is a place where you can come and fall before God. But let me just tell you, you can't sing the song that we're about to sing and truly worship if you're not surrendered. If you're not surrendered. If you're not a living sacrifice truly on the altar. And so you say, David, that's where I want to be. Then just fall on your face and say, God, I've gotten off the altar. I've ran with the flesh. My flesh is weak. And I'm just going to come back to you. And I, am wanting, I just want to serve you. I'm surrendering my life. And I'm truly going to worship. Where are you at today? When you leave this place, there's going to be the evil one coming after you in a heartbeat to try to get you back off the altar. But may we have a surrendered life on the altar.